invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. We'll be uh, looking at the, uh, the whole chapter for our time together this morning. Uh, follow along with me as I read for us, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Three hundred and sixty million. That's the number of believers around the world facing high levels of persecution and discrimination because of their faith in Jesus Christ. To put that into perspective, the number of believers in Jesus worldwide who are persecuted for their faith is nine times the population of Canada. It's easy to feel overwhelmed by a statistic like this and not know how to help. This is why the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church exists. It makes us aware of the places around the world where faith costs the most and how we can pray for these brave brothers and sisters in Christ. Today we've looked at three such countries in Nicaragua, the government uses intimidation, harassment, and retribution to try and silence the church's voice while the church speaks out about the government's injustice and human rights violations. In India, we saw how anti-conversion laws are used to harass and intimidate Christians, often leading to discrimination at work, job loss, and being excluded from society. In Nigeria, we saw persecution as the most violent in the world. Christians live under the constant threat of attack from different extremist groups. They're often specifically targeted because of their faith. For people living in these countries, following Jesus comes at a high cost, and so we pray. We pray that God would give them courage to face persecution with joy. 
that God would keep them faithful in the midst of persecution, that God would give them boldness to continue to speak about Jesus. At the same time, we often struggle, don't we, to to find hope in a secular culture that is antagonistic towards Christianity and followers of Jesus. Though we in North America certainly do not face the levels of persecution that other places around the world face, we at times can face opposition, discrimination, of different kinds for our faith in Jesus. And so the question is, how do we find hope in a secular culture that is antagonistic towards Christianity? As our passage of scripture for this morning makes clear, no matter what happens, no matter how bad things get, even when the earth falls out from under our feet, and even when chaos surrounds us, we can find hope in a secular culture because God is our refuge, because God is present with us, and because God will one day establish peace on the earth. So that's going to be our roadmap for our time together this morning. First, we can find hope in a secular culture because God is our refuge. Look back at verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. In these verses, the psalmist assures us that in times of great difficulty, the Lord is a place of refuge and strength. He is a help for the people of God. God's people have found refuge and strength and help in God in the past, and because they have done so, they can find refuge and strength and help in God in the present and also in the future. Even in extraordinary times, the psalmist here speaks of of earthquakes and landslides and tsunamis, these kinds of natural disasters that rock our world, essentially. These aren't your typical natural disasters, however. In uh, In the book of Revelation, such natural disasters, they allude to God's future judgment. Revelation chapter 8, verse 8 says, The second angel blew his trumpet in something like a great mountain. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. Revelation 11, verse 19 says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Revelation 16, verse 18 says, And there were flashes of lightning, rumbles, pealing 
of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. The implication here is this. All those who have raged against the God of heaven, who have hardened their hearts against the God of grace, who have rejected and sought to silence the gospel of Jesus Christ, declared by God's people, will fully and finally receive what they deserve. But all those who have come under King Jesus will find God to be a strong refuge and an ever-present help when the world as we know it comes to an end. Just as the flood and the exodus, the, the cosmic disruption we find described here at the end of history points to God's judgment upon his enemies and God's mercy upon those who repent of their sin and trust in him. But this is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 3, verses 24 to 26, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Thus we see we can find hope in a secular culture because God is our refuge. Secondly, we can find hope in a secular culture because God is present with us. Look at verses 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The city of God is a reference here to the city of Jerusalem. But in all of its recorded history, Jerusalem has never had a river flowing through the city. And yet there are several prophetic passages in scripture that describe a river flowing through the new Jerusalem, the one that God will make new after the apocalyptic destruction of the world. In Ezekiel chapter 47, for example, it speaks of a, a river flowing out from the temple. Joel chapter 3, verse 18 says that in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and water the valley of Shittim. Zechariah 14 verse 8 says, on that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. 
And then in Revelation 22, verses 1 to, th- 1 to 2, it says, uh, The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. And so we see in, in contrast to the, the roaring seas of verse 3, the streams of this life-giving water in the new heaven and the new earth will make glad those who dwell in the new Jerusalem. But also in contrast to the kingdoms of this world that rage and totter, just like the mountains that moved into the heart of the sea, the city of God shall not be moved. And the reason it shall not be moved, the reason it shall not totter is because God is in the midst of her. God's presence is what stabilizes his people, even when the, the ground beneath their feet gives way. You know, we might ask, you know, where's God when believers around the world are being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ? You know where God is? He's in the midst of her. He's in the midst of his people. He's in the middle of the persecution with them. We must not forget that. But then the psalmist is also anticipating the day when it will be declared, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21 verse 3. And when no longer will there be anything accursed and the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. Revelation 22 verse 3. In other words, the presence of God is the delight of God's people now, but it will also be the delight of God's people when Jesus comes again to make all things new. This is our hope. But then our hope in God continues in verse 5. God will help her when morning dawns. Uh, One commentator notes that Uh, Sunrise is a powerful image of hope. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 says that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2 says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And in Luke chapter 1, verses 78 to 79, Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, makes a a connection between sunrise and, and Jesus. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light, to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. By mentioning God helping Jerusalem when morning dawns, the psalmist is pointing forward to the day when death will be destroyed and when those who have died believing in Jesus will be raised to everlasting life. And when those who have died rebelling against God will be raised to shame and everlasting contempt, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says. On that day, the wicked will be judged and those who have repented of their sin and trusted in God will be hidden from God's justice in God's mercy 
And, and again, this is only possible through Jesus Christ, our only hope in life and death. The son of righteousness who has risen with healing in his wings. In verse 60, the earth melts at the utterance of Almighty God. In Joshua 2, verse 9, Rahab describes the Canaanites melting away before Israel. She, uh, she says to the Israelite spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Amos chapter 9, verses 5 to 6 says, The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all of it rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vault upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. After looking at the book of Genesis and seeing the creation of all things by the word of his power, when the Lord rises to judge the earth, the same word that brought about the creation of the world and the, and the cosmos will cause them to dissolve. Now, now, is this cause for concern or hopelessness? No, as verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so what do we hang our hat on is uh, when the sky falls and the sun explodes and the earth melts away, the only safe place will be in the presence of our Lord. Right? As, as believers in Jesus, we can have hope that the same God who revealed himself to Abraham and who changed uh Jacob's name to Israel will be our fortress. And this brings us to our final point. We can find hope in a secular culture because uh, God will one day establish peace on the earth. God will one day establish peace on the earth. Look at verses 8 to 11. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Say In these verses, the, the psalmist is inviting his readers to behold the wondrous works of the Lord. But notice that this invitation begins with praise to the Lord for how he has brought desolations on the earth. Now, that sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Come behold the works of the Lord who has inflicted horrific events on the earth. That's how the New American Standard Bible puts it. And this begs the question, in what way are we to praise the Lord for bringing desolations on the earth? Because certainly the psalmist isn't inviting us 
to delight in the destruction of the wicked. Right, that, that would go against uh, passages of scripture like Ezekiel 33 verse 11, where the Lord declares, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. And, and it would also go against uh, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, where the apostle Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would reach repentance. Right, so how are we to think through uh, this, this praising the Lord for bringing desolations on the earth? Well, the, the psalmist is inviting us to behold the way in which God will destroy the works of the wicked the way in which God will destroy evil and wickedness. Uh, consider God's purpose in creation. Right? It wasn't that long ago that we looked at this, right? God intended to fill the earth with his image bearers in order that his character might be reflected in all the earth through them. So wherever they went, that's where God's character, God's attributes, God's, God's glory would, would spread out wherever they went. But instead of filling the earth with God's glory, humanity filled the earth with all manner of evil and wickedness. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 to 32 says, uh, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Humanity filled the earth with all manner of evil and wickedness. Thus, the psalmist here is envisioning a future day when those who belong to God's city, who have taken refuge in him, will praise God for his destruction of all evil and wickedness, when, when that just will be no more. And we get a, a glimpse of that day in Revelation 19. When the redeemed of God will worship him in response to his destruction of, of Babylon. In Revelation 19 verses 2 to 3, the, the redeemed of God, they cry out with a loud voice, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Right, so even though that future destruction is still to take place, we can trust that God will finally destroy his enemies and, and purge his creation of all manner of evil and wickedness. That day is coming. 
Uh, a day is coming when, when those who refuse to turn from evil will no longer be permitted to do evil. The, the long-standing rebellion against the king of the universe will come to an end. All who will not repent will be consigned to their place of punishment. And all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will be free to worship their God and Savior without fear of persecution or oppression. Right? Isn't that a glorious hope that we have? I'm sure those in Nigeria and Nicaragua and India sure think so. Thus, verse 9 says that there will be no need for weapons or gates. Right? This looks forward to the day when God shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That's in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 4. Right, so we see that the, the bow will be broken, the spear will be shattered, the chariots of war will be burned. Right? Never again will God's people face persecution and oppression. Never again. Never again will they need to defend themselves in word or deed. Never again will they offer anxious prayers for the safety of their families, for their, their wives, their husbands, and their children. When the Lord unmakes the world, protecting his city, ending war and throwing down all rival kingdoms, God's people can be still and know that he is God and that there is no other. When God puts an end at last to all violence, he will indeed be exalted among the nations and in all the earth as Isaiah chapter 2 verse 17 says, The haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of men shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Thus, Psalm 46 concludes with verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Right, so so where, wherever we are at, whatever secular culture we are under, whether it's it's oppressive, whether it's it's only subtly so, we can have hope because God is our refuge, because God is present with us, and because God will one day bring peace on the earth. Psalm 46 is looking forward to the day when uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's statue, you remember that in, in, in Daniel chapter 2? When King Nebuchadnezzar's statue would be struck by that, that stone that would become a great mountain and, and fill the whole earth. And, and when the four beasts have their dominion taken away, while one like a son of man is given uh, an everlasting dominion and a kingdom that, that shall not be moved or destroyed. Daniel chapter 7. The, the destruction of the kingdoms of the earth and the, the purging of this defiled world is accompanied by the river of water of life that gladdens those who dwell in the city of God that cannot be shaken. Right, so our, our sin debt canceled. 
right? Death's power defeated. The dragon destroyed. The serpent's head crushed. All because, got this, this is, this is so important. All because the King of Kings and Lord of Lords died and rose again. So that by faith in him, we can have the, the victory through him. Right in a, in a secular culture filled with violence and injustice, our only hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the question is, where, where is your hope this morning? Is this where our hope is found? Well, whatever we face in this life, Whatever we face, may we turn our eyes to our good and gracious King who will come again to establish his reign, who will put an end to war and persecution and injustice, who will make all things new, who will wipe away every tear from our eyes, who will make our bodies to be like his glorious body, And it will bring us to the river of the water of life where we'll find rest for our weary souls and where we can can take and and drink without price. That is the hope for, for those of us who believe. If you do not have that hope in Jesus Christ this morning, today is the day of salvation. Be still and know that he is God and that there is no other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, as we reflect on the hundreds of millions of followers of Jesus around the world who are suffering and dying, for their faith. We pray. We pray that persecuted Christians would know the hope that is in you. That those facing persecution would rely on you and not on themselves. That they would fearlessly tell others about Jesus, even though the cost is great. That their witness would inspire those who plan to harm them to turn away from their wickedness and to trust in Jesus. That you would provide for their physical needs as well as their spiritual needs. That they would experience your peace which surpasses all understanding despite their weaknesses and circumstances. That you would protect them. That you would rescue them out of dangerous circumstances according to your will that they would feel deeply connected to Jesus in their suffering, that they would be completely faithful and surrendered to your will, that they would have wisdom and discernment for how to approach every situation, and that as they share in Christ's sufferings, they would be able to rejoice in the hope of the resurrection of the dead. We acknowledge your power and your wisdom in all things, And we pray for courage for us, like theirs, to stand firm in the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.